We're calling this next season of Faith and Sacrifice Project One. Since there is one God and one name by which we are saved, that means there's one faith, one family, and one focus worthy of giving our one life for. The peace that I have with God, knowing that we're obedient to something He has called us to do and has been prompting us to do for years, and for us to finally do it, my head hits the pillow at night, and there's just a peace that I can't find anywhere else. The true just discipleship that was there being poured into our kids, that alone is worth investing in, for sure. You don't really understand how much it blesses your life until you actually do it. You know, you give back to Him what what belongs to Him, and everything else just kind of falls into place. As far as Project One and and moving to the the bus station location, I, I think great things are ahead. Five years ago, our church had a defining moment. There's about a hundred of us that made a decision to start this church. It wasn't just me, it wasn't just a few of us, there was nearly a hundred of us that decided to come together to start this church, to step out in faith with surrender, with sacrifice, with some risk. And God has done so much over the last five years. And I believe that today will be another defining moment for many of you and for us as a church Together, Many of you today are going to commit and, and recommit to reorder your life according to God's priorities, to put him and us first, as we've been saying throughout this whole series. And I believe what God will do through us in this next season is going to shape our church, Lubbock, and the nations for decades to come. For those of you that think of this as your church, like you're a part of our city family, we're gonna ask you to fill out this commitment card that was in your chair when you came in towards the end of the service today. We've been challenging you to pray through these commitments, whether that's to make a first-time commitment, whether that's to finish strong or to even increase, we've been challenging you for the last month to pray about those commitments and we're going to follow through and be obedient to what God has been telling us today as we take these steps of faith together. If you're a guest today, if you're new here, you picked an awesome day to be here. Not because you're going to fill out a commitment card, right? But you're going to see what we're all about and what we're willing to do to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, to bless our city and to bless the nations. Well, how many of you know that our education system has invented a new math? Let me see a show of hands. We've got a new math, yep. Um, About a year ago, not a year ago, years ago, many years ago, I went to a meeting at our school to learn about this new math our kids would be learning at school. I thought the old math was doing just fine. I guess too many people were getting the wrong change at the convenience store or for their Chick-fil-A, right? So we had to come up with a new math. Here's what I learned about the new math. It takes one sheet of paper to do one problem. So you need like a whole notebook per assignment because the new math takes forever. I thought the old math was just fine. And I remember sitting at this meeting where they were explaining to us how our kids would be doing this new math. And in the middle of this new math, I saw the old math. I'm like, hey, there's the old math right there. Let's just do the old math because that's simpler. It's easier. It's quicker. Well, today we're going to learn about God's math. Paul's going to teach us about God's math. And here's God's math. I'm just going to give it to you like from the get-go. Okay, here's God's math. God adds to you in order to multiply through you. I'm going to say that again. God adds to you. This is God's math. God adds to you so that, there's a purpose there, so that he can multiply through you. We're finishing a series today called First. A year ago, our church began a season called Project One. It was a two-year season, and we find ourselves at the midpoint of that season, 12 months in, and we're reminding ourselves, we're refreshing ourselves on what Project One was all about. What what was the why behind Project One? 
one. And our team has made these guidebooks that talk about where we've been, where we're headed, talk about our, our vision. And if you hadn't gotten one of these guidebooks, would you just slip up your hand real quick? We'd love to bring you one. We want everybody that's a part of our church to have one of these guidebooks. Okay, get your hand up tall so our staff can see you. Okay, we got some people up front here. Come on, get them up high, like tech just one. And you got your, right? You got your guns up high, not low like when we lose, like you're still a fan, but you're kind of ashamed, right? No, get it up high like we won, okay? We got somebody in the back back there, okay? Everybody's getting a guidebook that didn't have one. Yeah, these guidebooks talk about where we've been with Project One and what lies before us. Real quick, here's what we've said Project One was all about. Because there's one God and there's one name by which we are saved. That means there's one faith, one family, the body of Christ, and one focus, making disciples, that we should be giving our one lives for. There's only one thing worthy of giving our one lives for. And so there was two challenges that came with Project One. Here was the first challenge. The first challenge was to be all, all in, right? As a church, we wanna be all, all in. Not, not some giving all or, or all giving some, right? As what happens a lot of times in churches. No, we wanted it to be all of us all in, 100% engagement, all, all in. And out of the overflow, of that all in heart, right? The second challenge was give my all. So all, all in, out of the overflow of me being all, all in, the, the response is to give my all. Like David in First Chronicles chapter 29, he said this, because of my devotion to the temple of my God. So because I'm all, all in with my God and with the people of God, because I'm all in, I'm going to give my all, David said, because of my devotion, because my, my heart, right? Because of my heart, it beats for the Lord and for the people of God. I'm all in. And so David said, I'm giving my all. We said it was time for a new core group at our church to rise up, to launch us into this next season of our church, the season we find ourselves in now. And that it would take faith, surrender, sacrifice, and risk, just like it took our original core group to launch this church. And that's what Project One is all about. Living for and be a part, being a part of something bigger than ourselves, making an eternal impact. And we're a year in now. You guys that made commitments 12 months ago have been faithful to those commitments, and God has used you guys to do so much. And with 12 months left, and as we consider what lies before us as a church, we believe God was leading us to go verse by verse through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And here's our key verse in 2 Corinthians 8 for this whole series. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. For their first action, Paul's talking about the Macedonian believers, right? And he's challenging the Corinthian believers to be generous based on the Macedonians' faith and generosity. And so he says this about the Macedonian Christians. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. That's the body of Christ. That's our community of faith. Their first action, right? Their hearts were all, all in, were devoted to the Lord, Paul says, and to us, just as God wanted them to do. It was God's will. It's God's will for every one of his kids, for, his follow, for followers of Jesus, to give themselves first to the Lord and then to us as the body of Christ. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, moving you to follow Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, and yes, be radically generous and to live for something bigger than yourself. The Holy Spirit moves Christians, moves followers of Jesus to live for something bigger than themselves. That's the glory of God. And if you're like me, you don't want to get to the end of your life and think that all you did was occupy space and consume resources and pay your bills. You'd like to think when I get to the end of my life, I live for something bigger than me. I live for something that really matters, right? That I gave myself to something that really matters in eternity. And so I believe that every single one of you that are followers of Jesus, you have that desire in you and it overflows out of you into radical generosity. So let's dive back in. We're gonna finish 2 Corinthians chapter nine 
today. Let me give you some background first, though, as we've done each week so that you kind of know where we find ourselves here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And to do that, we got to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 7. And so here's some of the things that Paul has said in chapters 1 through 7. Paul says that God has comforted us so that we can comfort others. He's talking about namely the gospel, that God has comforted us with the gospel so that we can comfort other people with the gospel. Romans 5 says that we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. So there's a comfort in the gospel that God has graciously given to us. And Paul says, we are called as the body of Christ to then comfort others with the same comfort that we've been given in the gospel. Paul will say to share in the sufferings of the gospel, share in the sufferings of Christ with us together, together, like join all the other followers of Jesus in the first century who are suffering for the cause of Christ, who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And Paul tells the Corinthians, join with us, right? Don't shrink back. Join with us as we suffer for the cause of Christ. He's going to tell the Corinthians to share in the ministry together. Like that Paul, or that like, take me for example. We aren't the only ministers of the gospel. Paul's going to say, share in the ministry together because we're all, Paul's going to say, ministers of the new covenant. Every last one of us are ministers of the new covenant of grace. I'm not the only minister in the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel. You're a minister of the new covenant. Paul's gonna say that the glory of the new covenant makes it worthy to suffer for. That the great news of the gospel, of God's grace to us through Christ is so amazing. It's so indescribable that the glory of the new covenant, Paul's gonna say, is worthy to suffer for and even die for. Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians 5 that you and I are God's ambassadors and that God is making his appeal to the world through us. He's making his appeal to your world through you. Paul's going to say we faithfully preach the truth of the gospel and we serve God regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifices, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to make disciples. We're going to make sure that people who've never heard the name of Jesus hear the good news of the gospel. So this is 2 Corinthians 1 through 7. So it just makes sense that the overflow of 1 through 7 is chapters 8 and 9 about radical generosity. That if the glory of the new covenant is worth suffering and, and risking for and stepping out in faith for and even dying for, then it just makes sense that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 would be about radical generosity that it would impact our finances. And that's exactly what we find. The overflow of one through seven is where we've been over the last five weeks, chapters eight and nine. Now remember also in the background here, in this context, there's an emergency, right? The Jerusalem believers are suffering because there's a famine in the land. Paul's been raising money for 10 years from the various churches to help the Jerusalem believers. And the church at Corinth has promised to help. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthians to encourage them to follow through on their promises, on their commitments. And he's using the way the churches in Macedonia have responded to the emergency and he's challenging them to respond to the emergency in the same way. And so here's what we've seen in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 so far. In week one, we saw that grace receivers are grace dispensers. Right, That the same word in the New Testament for grace is also the same word for give. And so Paul said the ministry of grace is a ministry of giving. And grace receivers, if you've experienced, you've received the grace of God, then there's just an overflow in the life of a believer that says, I want other people to know and to experience the grace of God. We saw in week two that we give, that radical generosity begins with an understanding of the gospel, that God first gave his one and only son for us, that God is the greatest giver ever. And because we've been created in his image to be like him, he's created us to be radically generous, just like he is. We saw in week three that we're not the owner of anything, but we are the stewards of everything that God owns and has given to us, right? And so we want to 
use God's money as a good steward, right? We want to use God's money in a way that honors him. In, in other words, in a way that he would want it to be used because we're stewards. We don't own a thing. We are stewards of everything that is God's. We saw last week that our first step, when we talk about radical generosity, when we talk about giving, that our first step should be, I'm ready, I'm down. Like, I'll figure out the details later, like what that means for me and my budget, what that means I'm, I'm gonna be able to do or, or, or not be able to do. But my first step, when there's a need, when there's an emergency, when there's opportunity, right? My first step is I'm ready, I'm down. Like, I'll figure out the details later. I'll figure out the amounts later. That's why we've given you five weeks, right? To, to, to think about this and to pray about this. But our first step, we say, God loves a person who says, I'm ready, I'm down. We saw that last week. Today, we're gonna see, as we finish up this series, God's math. All right, let's dive in. Verse 10, chapter nine, verse 10. Follow along with me on the screen or on our app. Our app is called the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and then go to message notes and all the verses and points are there for you to follow along. All right, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce what? A great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that, catch this, right? Don't miss this, here's God's math. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. There it is. There's God's math. You will be enriched in every way. God will add to you. Why? So that he can produce a harvest of generosity so that you can always be generous. God adds to you so that he can multiply through you. Paul says, look at the farmer. God provides not only for his immediate physical needs in the form of the harvest of grain for his daily bread, but also at the exact same time for his future needs in the form of seed for next year's planting. Why? So that, why does God supply the seed to the farmer? Why? So that you can always be generous. God increases so that we can be generous. We saw throughout this series that the Corinthians have a relative affluence when compared to the Macedonians, right? The Macedonians were poor. They were, they were in poverty actually, and they were still being radically generous. So the Corinthians have this relative affluence. And while they may have financial resources at this point in time, there is no promise from God and there is no guarantee that such circumstances will continue. But here's what they can be assured of. God will sustain his people by meeting their needs in himself. At the same time, providing for them for the sake of others. So God's promise is that he will use his people and their resources as instruments of his grace for the salvation of others. You see, God's blessed us not just so that we can enrich our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. We said that throughout this series. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But that's not the primary reason God adds to us. It's not the primary reason God blesses or gives increase. No, God has blessed us not just so that we can enrich our lives, but also so that through us, we can bless others. Here's what this means. We saw this in week three. That if you don't steward generously God's money, you're actually stealing from him. You're embezzling his money because he owns it all. We're just the steward. We said this in week three, that every individual in the church to God is a nonprofit ministry. That we aren't only, we aren't the only nonprofit ministry here. That every last one of us are a nonprofit ministry in the eyes of God. And God makes donations to you because he wants you to use them for his mission. If you sit on those donations or you just use them for your luxuries alone, you're embezzling God's money. God has blessed you to increase your capacity for generosity, not just to increase your standard of living. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but... That's not the primary reason we see here in the scripture that God increases, that he blesses financially. 
It's not just to increase our standard of living, but to increase our capacity for giving. Take Abraham, for example. In Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you all this land. So I'm going to give, I'm going to bless, I'm going to increase, I'm going to add to you. Why? So that Abraham can just be famous and have stuff and have land and have increase? No. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you all this land. And then God says, so that all the families on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses Abraham in order that he might be a channel of blessing to other people. So here's what this means for you and I as Christ followers. Becoming a Christ follower means viewing everything in your life as something to be used and multiplied in God's kingdom. God is a rich giver. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his kids, but he doesn't give blessings simply for us to enjoy them. No, primarily he gives blessings so that he can multiply those blessings through us into the lives of others. So being a Christ follower means that I look at everything I've been given as seed for sowing into God's harvest. God's blessed us. And with that blessing comes a responsibility. We can't just sit on it. There's people to reach. There's people to disciple. It's why God has placed us in this community. It's why he's put you here in this city, in this state, in this country to be a channel of his blessing to the nations. In fact, in Romans 1.14, Paul calls himself a debtor to all those who've never heard the gospel. A debtor? Paul, what, what do you mean? You, you don't even know some of these people. How could you be a debtor? What do you owe these people? Well, there's two ways that you can be a debtor. The first way is the way most of us understand being a debtor. Somebody loans you money, and so you owe them. You're in debt to them. You have to pay them back. But there's another way you can be in debt. You're dead broke, you're hopeless, and somebody generously pours out riches upon you, more than you could ever use in your lifetime, and then says to you, my only requirement is that you share this with others whom you encounter who are similarly destitute. At that point, you owe your wealth to others, not because of them, you gotta catch this, but because of your benefactor who said, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. I've blessed you beyond your wildest imagination so that you would be a channel of blessing, so that I would add to you in order to multiply through you. And so you're in debt, not to them, but because you have a benefactor who has blessed you and said, I've blessed you so that you can be a channel of blessing to others. That's the debt that Paul is talking about here. Paul knew that God had chosen him to be blessed by the gospel, not because he was more worthy than others, not because he had more potential. Paul knew that God blessed him with the gospel by pure grace alone. Paul would say, I was the worst of sinners. I was the chief of sinners and God had mercy on me. God has, was, was gracious towards me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But I've got a benefactor who's blessed me with the gospel so that I might be a channel of blessing to others. And so Paul says, I'm in debt to them because of my benefactor. He meant that he owed something to the people who had never heard the gospel before because God was gracious to him. You see, your life looks different when you're a debtor. If you're past due on a debt, to a credit card company for $100,000, if you get an extra 5,000, you shouldn't be looking to upgrade your wardrobe, take a vacation or get a new car. No, your obligation to them trumps your freedom. In the same way, Paul says, my obligation, I'm in debt to those who've never heard because God has been so gracious to me. You see, City Church, we are under obligation to Lubbock, and to unreached people groups around the world. We're in debt to them. Not because of them, 
but because of our benefactor. And so, like Paul, we owe the gospel to those who've never heard it because our benefactor has blessed us in order to be a blessing to all the families on earth in the same way Abraham was blessed in order that he might be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Let's keep going. Verse 11. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. So make no mistake, giving is ministry, right? Giving, when, when you give, that is ministry in and of itself. Paul says two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. So while the immediate aim of this collection that Paul is receiving from the Macedonians or from the Corinthians is to meet physical needs in Jesus's name among the Jerusalem believers, the ultimate goal, Paul says, of any financial gift is to bring honor to God. It's a worship to God. It produces worship. So Paul's conviction is that giving to these fellow believers in Jerusalem is an essential part of the ministry of the gospel and it's a genuine expression of worship. And so every time, we don't pass an offering plate here, but every time you drop money in that offering box in the lobby, every time you get that email like I did this week because you, you, you've given online, stop and say, God, this is for you. It's, 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 it's for your sake and your name. Like we pray here every Sunday. It's for the fame of Jesus among the nations. It's to bring honor and glory to you. That's the primary reason we give. It's to show God how much we love him through this expression of worship. And so the purposes of giving are twofold, Paul says. Number one, it's worship. It's, it's the chief end of man from the Westminster Confession of Faith to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the primary reason we give. It's to glorify God and it's to enjoy him forever. And then the, the secondary reasons are the, the, the spread of the gospel and to meet needs in Jesus's name. You see, God blesses you and he uses you to bless others, Paul says, in a way that they will thank God because of you. Listen, over the last five years here, we've had hundreds of people commit their life to Christ and get baptized here. That, that's a lot of people rejoicing in the grace of God. We've seen marriages and families saved and restored. We've seen the incarcerated in our city find hope in Jesus' name. We've seen many of those people as they've gotten out come to our church. And many have come up to me. In fact, in the last two weeks, I've met with seven people after a service who've come up to me with a huge smile on their face and tears in their eyes, just having been released from one of the three facilities that we have people in and that we minister to people. In, and they come up to me with a huge smile and tears on their face, sometimes with their girlfriend or their wife or their kids. And they'll say, thank you. Listen, they're, they're thanking me and I get that, but, but, but they're, real, they're thanking you. They're thanking God, because of you, God has worked in their lives and brought transformation and brought the hope of the gospel, right? Through you, because you've given. They're, they're thanking me with tears in their eyes and a huge smile on their face, but they're really thanking you. They're thanking God because of you. I wish you could get that thank you from every last one of them, like, like I get. And you would see the way that God is using those gifts that you give to bless other people. You'll see that it's really a ministry to give. And that there are people all over this church, many of you sitting in here right now, Listen, we, we can talk about how weird and awkward it is to talk, talk about giving, you know, all day long. We, we, you know, I'm right there with you. 
But folks, a lot of you would not be here if it hadn't been for someone in this church giving financially. That's just, let's just get real. A lot of you, you wouldn't have the story you have if other people hadn't come before you and given financially so that you could be here. Paul says, when you, when you give, people will thank God because of you. Let's keep going. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove. Your generosity will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Verse 14, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Stop right there. For the most part, the recipients of these gifts that Paul has been collecting from the Macedonians and the Corinthians and others, for the most part, the recipients were conservative Jewish Christians who still regarded the Gentile Christians with a certain amount of fear and suspicion. And so for them, this collection, these gifts prove the Gentiles' profession of faith is the real deal. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here for proof, it proves that you've been obedient to the gospel. The, the, the Greek word here is a test in order to verify someone or something's genuineness or worth. So Paul says, you're proving that you are who you say you are, that you're the real deal. You're proving that you're really followers of Jesus through this gift. It's not the only way that we prove, but Paul says it's a proof that reveals, that shows that you are who you say you are. And in this case, this collection is serving as a proof by which the Gentiles' faith is being shown to be genuine to the Jerusalem Christians. James says the same thing. James says the exact same thing, that faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead, it's useless. That faith, genuine faith, always produces obedience. It always produces action. And the Corinthians are expressing the genuineness of their faith through this gift. Paul's gonna say as a result, they're gonna pray for you. These Jerusalem Christians, they're gonna pray with you for, for, for you with deep affection, with deep affection. This is the, this bond that we've talked about throughout this series between brothers and sisters in Christ, the love that they have for one another because of their mutual faith in Christ. In fact, the Greek word for the fellowship or the, the, the sharing, this bond that we have in Christ as the family of God, koinonia, is found four times in 2 Corinthians. And it always refers to this bond, this this, this relationship by which everything that we have is like held in common. We see it in Acts, right? Where they, they considered that nothing they owned was really theirs, but it was ours. Like it wasn't about me, it was about we. It's this idea of koinonia, this, this fellowship, this bond that we have in Christ. It, it, it refers to one scholar said, it, it, it denotes this close union and caring concern of the members of Christ's body, the church that they have for one another. It's a union that is forged by the spirit and finds concrete expression, or in other words, it's proved in the contributions in this case of the Gentile churches to meet the physical needs of their fellow believers in Judea. Verse 15, let's keep going. We'll finish out chapter nine. Thank God for this wonderful gift, for this gift too wonderful for words. Now, many scholars debate, what, what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about the Macedonians gift? Is he talking about the, the, the Corinthians gift because of their relative affluence is gonna be larger in nature? Most scholars believe, and, and this is what I believe, that because of the words that Paul uses here about this gift that's too wonderful for words, that Paul is talking about the most supreme example of giving there has ever been. And that Paul is capping off his appeal in chapters 8 and 9 to be radically generous with the most radically generous gift that has ever been given. That Paul is saying this gift that is too wonderful for words is the gift of Christ Jesus by our Heavenly Father. Paul's saying we, we can't ever outgive God because he gave beyond all human reasoning and understanding. In fact, 
The word that Paul uses here for too wonderful for words talks about something that is beyond human description. We can't even imagine it. It's such a gracious, radically generous gift. We can't even describe it. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God gave the ultimate gift and it can never be matched. The gift of his one and only son. See, you can give without loving, right? You, you can give in your heart, not really be in it. That, that, that's possible. And I think a lot of us have been there before, right? We've given or we've done something or we've shown up, you, you know, and, and our heart's not really in it. That, that, that's possible. But, but here's what's never possible. You can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. That's impossible. You, you can't love something. You can't love someone and not be moved to give to it. It's impossible. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And God, Romans 5, 8, God proved his love for us, it says. He didn't just say he loved you. God demonstrated. Remember that word, that Greek word? It's a test that, that proves the genuineness of the worth, right? God proved, Romans 5, 8, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, we were re re rebels against God. We, 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 were, we were rejecting Christ. We were going our own way. And even though we were sinners, God proved his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us on that cross. You see, the Bible says, that every last one of us are sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. Our culture will tell us you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, right? That's what, that's what our culture tells us, like, you're good enough, so, so find yourself and, and, and celebrate yourself, Right? Our culture tell, it preaches that to us every day. Find yourself, ce celebrate yourself, right? The, the Bible says you are not a good person. So deny yourself and follow Jesus. Why? Because in your sin, you've broken God's law. And when you break man's law, you pay man's fine. Well, when you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell, where God's wrath is poured out on you forever because you rejected his son, Jesus. But the great news of the gospel is that God has demonstrated, he's proved his love for you by giving, right? Because he loves, he, he gave. God demonstrated his love for you in that he gave his one and only son to die for you on that cross, to pay your fine for sin. And so the scripture says in Romans 3, when you believe that Jesus sacrificed his life on that cross in your place and rose, that Jesus rose from the grave three days later, when you believe, when you give your life to Jesus, you can be saved. Your sin can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you can be saved. Not when you've been good enough. You will never be good enough to be right with God. In Ephesians 2, it says salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus. I didn't really plan to talk about this today, but I felt God leading to me to, to, to talk about this in the first service, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share it with you too. And so if, if, if you can, you may have tuned me out or whatever, because we're talking about money and giving, you know, whatever, that's fine. Would, would you just look at me for a second? 
When you're a pastor, you find yourself in some pretty difficult rooms very often. Most of you will find yourself in a room like this once, twice, maybe a few times in your life where someone you love is on a bed and you're not sure if they're gonna make it. Some of you've been there before. Unfortunately, some of you, you've been there multiple times. I'm in that room multiple times a year. I was in that room this week on the floor, crying and praying with a woman who's gonna lose her daughter. And listen, in that moment, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Except for what you did with Jesus. And let me just give you some insight. If, if it's you on that bed, here's what your family members are talking about while you're laying there on that bed, maybe fighting for your life. Here, here, here's what your family members are discussing. Regardless of what they believed before, regardless of what their lives looked like before, here, here's what they're thinking. Where is this person going? What's gonna happen to them after they die? There is nothing more important in that moment than that. I've been in that room enough times, whether it's believers or unbelievers, to know that's what everyone is thinking. That's what everyone, whether it's said or unsaid, that's what they're concerned about. That's what they're worried about. That's what they're thinking about. Listen, the Proverbs say, a wise person thinks about death. A lot. A wise person thinks about death, thinks about that day a lot when it's them lying on that bed. So the opposite's also true. A fool, a fool doesn't think about that day. A, a, a fool doesn't think about what will happen to them after they die, where they're going to spend eternity. They just keep playing games. A wise person thinks about death a lot. So, so would, you, would you stop playing games? Because you don't know when that day is going to be this day. You don't. You're, you're not guaranteed another day. The most important decision you will ever make in this life is what you do with Jesus. And so I'm pleading with you today. Be wise, wise up, think about death. Abandon all hope in yourself and in your works and in being good enough and put all your hope in Jesus Christ alone. Abandon all hope in what you can do in order to be right with God and put all your hope in the grace and mercy of God who in his love for you sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you three days later, rose again, conquering sin, conquering death, proving that he's the son of God, that he is who he says he is and that he's the only way to heaven. Stop playing games. Abandon all hope in your works and yourself and put all your hope in Jesus today. And if that's you, and you wanna give your life to Jesus for the first time so that you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with God, grab that connect card in the seat back in front of you and fill it out and check that box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ today and take it to our welcome center in the lobby. We've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. Guys, this is the emergency. We've been talking about it the whole series. The emergency is that you and me and everyone you know will be on that bed one day. 10 out of 10 of us will die and stand before a holy and righteous God. Unless you're alive when Jesus returns, 
And listen, that, that day could be very soon. But unless you're alive when Jesus returns, 10 out of 10 of you will be on that bed. That's the emergency. People have got to know. There are unreached people groups all over the world. They've never heard the gospel. They've never heard about Jesus. There's an emergency. And so here's the big idea today. It's God's math. God adds to you so that he can multiply through you. He adds to you so that he can multiply through you. God blesses you so that he can bless others through you. The Macedonians understood this. Paul said they were ready. They responded to the emergency with generosity. They were a channel of God's blessing. Francis Chan in his book, Erasing Hell, said this, we have become dangerously comfortable. He's talking about American Christians. We've become dangerously comfortable. Believers ooze with wealth and let their addictions to comfort and security numb the radical urgency of the gospel. Our prayer in this series has been that God's spirit will wake us up. That he'll pull our heads out of the sand of comfort and security and wake us up to the radical urgency of the gospel, to the emergency and generosity to the emergency is the primary way we drive a stake in the heart of our idolatry to comfort and security. And as a channel and act as a channel of blessing. And so it's time for a new core group to rise up like the Macedonians, like these Corinthians, who will respond to the emergency with generosity, who will get uncomfortable by giving themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Would you pull out this commitment card that was in your chair when you came in? We're gonna take some time here in a moment to fill these cards out, but before we do, and before this moment passes us by, I want you to know just how important and how serious what we're doing really is. You see, Paul, when he was collecting these gifts from the Macedonians and from the Corinthians, knowing that he was going to take these gifts back to Jerusalem, he actually knew that when he got to Jerusalem, he would face persecution. He would face problems. And so he asked the Romans in Romans 15 to pray for him that he would be rescued from unbelieving Jews in Judea. But the collection, this gift for the Jerusalem believers was so important, nothing, even persecution, would not deter Paul from going to Jerusalem to deliver this gift. The gift was so important, Paul was willing to risk his life in order to deliver it. That's how important, that's how serious that gift was to Paul. And I share that with you so that you can know you don't need to take this moment lightly. This is important. What we're doing is very serious. This card is all about giving our first and best. It's about recognizing that everything I have has been given to me. It's on loan from God. It's to be used to bless the world. So if you would open this card and you'll see there's three basic check boxes here. The first one is I'm new to project one. Maybe you weren't here last year. You didn't make a commitment last year. You would check the box that says, I'd like to make a 12 month commitment to the project one generosity initiative in the amount of, and you're going to give a, a total amount from this December of 23 to December of 24. And you, and, and you see with that asterisk that this includes regular giving over the next 12 months, as well as any expanded giving, one-time gifts, maybe a gift from a stored resource like savings or retirement or, or, or whatever. You'll see the next two options are for those already committed to project one. First thing, you're gonna put in your current two-year commitment that you filled out a year ago. Then you're gonna check one of these boxes. At the midpoint of project one, I would like to number one, confirm my commitment to finish strong. Or number two, increase my two-year commitment to a new number over these two years, including your, your giving from the first year. Then you'd fill out that card. So our prayer is that what we 
put on these cards will represent full surrender, our first and best, faith and sacrifice. I know for some of you, it's gonna mean giving for the very first time. And we praise God for that. For some of you, it's gonna mean giving more than you ever have before. And we praise God for that. For some of you, just staying where you're at, finishing strong will be a great sacrifice because of maybe changes in your life. And we praise God for that. Brandon's gonna play. We're gonna give you a few minutes to think and to pray, to write. Hopefully most of us have been ready for this moment as we've been challenging you to pray about this and to be ready for this moment over the last five weeks. But take some time and in a minute I'll come back up and I'm gonna give you more instructions on what we're gonna do with these cards. But take some time, a couple minutes to pray, to fill out these cards and let's bring our first and best for the glory of God. Before we turn in our cards, I wanted you guys to hear from one of our elders. His name's Kobe. He helped us start this church and he's one of our leaders here. And um, so yeah, we just wanted you to hear about kind of what's been going on in him and his wife, Jennifer, their family and their hearts and kind of why they're doing what they're doing. For sure, how's it going? Like you said, my name is Kobe. If we have not got to meet, I would love the opportunity for us to meet. And I'll make you a deal. If you don't make it awkward, I won't make it awkward, okay? So grab me some time and let's meet. Um, so my journey with the city actually started at United Supermarkets a few months before that first service happened at the Science Spectrum. And does anybody have those friends or people in your life that like want to go meet for lunch and you can tell they want to talk about something, but they don't tell you what it's about. And you have this like weird, like awkward, like, I don't know what's this, what, what kind of bomb is about to be dropped on me in this, this thing. Okay. Clayton's that guy, right? <laughs> So he had asked me to lunch, and, and honestly, most of the time I try to, I kind of find creative ways for things to come up to avoid those things, uh, but I'm so glad I didn't. I met Clayton at United, and uh, the bomb that he dropped that day was that uh, God had prompted him and, and Darby uh, to uh, start a church. He was asking my thoughts, and do you, do you think people would come on board? Like, he started just sharing a vision and, and, and things that God had put on his heart. And I remember it like so clearly that I remember just, as he's talking, almost shut him off. Like, dude, I'm in. I don't have to go home. I don't have to go talk to the wife and pray about it. Like, I'm in. And I uh, didn't really know what I was committing to at that point, to be honest, <clears throat> but I was committed and I was excited. The next few weeks and months were kind of fast and furious as kind of a team was assembled and uh, more people were, were introduced to this idea and asked they wanted to, to come on board and help launch this thing. We had to find a facility but to come up with a name for the church and find out like, well, what is our core values? Some of my favorite moments were early days with uh, Brandon and Mark and Clayton and I, it just kind of going to the whiteboard saying, man, what, what could this be? God, what would you want? We get to start fresh and, and get to do this thing. Like it was such such exciting time. That's where some of these things that you see in our identity now, like we want to grow a family, not a crowd. Like some of those things were formed very early on. It's in, in our DNA now. And fast forward, we had that first service at the Science Spectrum several years ago. And I remember all of us just kind of like, wow, like God did this, like this came together, like this is gonna be awesome. Over the next few years, uh, this place has been so special to me and as I know it has been to many of you. I've had the privilege of being a part of a small group that's, I don't even, I don't even wanna call it a small group, it's so much more than that. It's our best friends, it's people we do life with. It's, it's, uh, it's been awesome. All three of my kids involved in the kids' ministry and youth ministry have accepted Jesus and gotten baptized here. So many powerful things, transformed lives that we get to see in my family and in your family. And it's, it's been an incredible journey and I'm excited to see what the next five years look like. So about two years ago, the first time we started talking about like this need for something at the time we were calling a fundraising campaign type of thing, right? As a leadership team, we realized that we need a permanent facility. Ministries are, are increasing and growing. Attendance is growing. And we really need to find a way to make some cash, right? <laughs> and how to pay for this stuff and figure this out. Uh, but we all felt a little bit weird <clears throat> about it. In fact, the first finance meeting that we had where we kind of started talking about this, me being the super spiritual guy that I was, uh, said the phrase, this makes me want to throw up in my mouth, 
right? Not like full-on vomit, but un uncomfortable, right? Still got to brush your teeth after, right? And so it was, you know, it gets weird, right? Like when we start talking about money, it gets, it gets weird. People are going to get uncomfortable. Some people are going to leave the church because of it. Um, some people are going to think that we're about money now and not the mission and they're not going to catch it, right? So there's all this like weird, someone's going to build a thermometer on stage and put a big number on the top. And then every Sunday we're going to have to like raise it. And we're going to throw a party and it's just cheesy, right? Cringy, cheesy stuff. So we all had this kind of uneasy feeling, but what we didn't know and we found out soon after is God changed our hearts and, and, and led was that what would come to be known as project one uh, would be a powerful tool that God would use to disciple us. It, it would be, as Clayton talked about today, it would be a, a, an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Like not a, not a thermometer, but like an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And so things changed drastically. Um, as me and Jen started talking about our commitment about a, a year or so ago when, when this happened, I really came down to just a couple of things. One of those things was we had to recognize that we are extremely blessed, right? We're extremely blessed and you're extremely blessed. And I hope you know that. And I hope this is in as, as, as we talked about today, like when you're blessed, there's a story behind being blessed, right? Uh, my man Fabian, who I work with has a, has a sweatshirt. I told him to wear it today. It says, it says blessed on it, right? Actually it says not lucky and it says blessed. And there's a story behind the blessing. And guess what that story is? that God did it. I'm gonna harness my inner Matt Cordova. Look at the person next to you and say, God did it. All right, it doesn't work as good for me, but <laughs> there's a story behind being blessed. And, and the cool thing is, as a second part of that equation of how God has richly blessed us, is that he's done that primarily, as we talked about today, to be a blessing to others. So that was kind of guideline number one. Let's just recognize that we're blessed and called to be a blessing um, from that. The second thing that we felt God telling us, and you may have noticed, we haven't talked about percentages and amounts, right? But we've talked about the condition of your heart through this series. And for me and Jen, uh, the, the idea was, it was pretty simple formula. Uh, God wants you to give sacrificially and he wants you to give joyfully. So sacrificially, we said, man, we should, we should fill this. It shouldn't just be something out of excess, right? We should feel it. It should make us a little bit uncomfortable. It should make us lean in and have to trust God and, and, and grow our faith. So that was kind of rule number one. The second one was God wants us to give joyfully. Like, let's have fun with this, right? Have this kind of loose philosophy in life that if you can't have fun doing something, it's probably not worth doing or you're not doing it the right way. But there are some holes in that philosophy, right? You understand like when your kid's cleaning their room, that kind of thing, it may not be fun. They still got to do it. But at the end of the day, what I know is that God is not after my begrudging obedience, right? He's not looking to grow a people that's willing to put a number on a card and be mad about it. As long as they put it on there, I don't really care about that. He's not interested in our moping around begrudging obedience. What he is very concerned about, went to great lengths for is our hearts. You know, in Psalms, it talks about where the fullness of joy is found. You know where it's not found? It's not found in your bank account. It's not found in the new car, the bigger house, the next vacation, the raise or promotion at work. That's, that's not where the fullness of joy is found, but where it says it's found is in the right, at the right hand of God, in his presence. And so as we've been discipled and challenged through this series, and we're asked to respond to the gospel, what we're doing is asked to, Loosen that grip, as he said today, on the love of money. Loosen that grip on our constant pursuit of comfort. And as we do that, we draw closer to God. And guess what? We get in God's presence and the fullness of joy rests in his presence. So I just want to say thank you for your commitment. Thank you for um, your, your prayers as, you, as, you, as you've done this. And we do this as a family together. I mean, I just pray that God will continue to bless and give you that, that, that spirit of joy as we move forward. Thank you, Kobe. Would you guys stand? Yeah, thank you, Kobe. <clears throat> Our team's gonna lead us in worship and here's what we're gonna ask you to do when you're ready is to come forward and drop your card in one of these baskets on the stage. They're at the front of each 
section here on the stage. And then you can go back to your seat and continue to worship with us as a church family. But I wanna remind us that what we've been studying in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this is where we come from. This is who we are. This is our DNA, not, not this casual, comfortable, religious Christianity we've grown accustomed to in our country. No, we're, we're, we're about passionately following Jesus, living out his mission, developing his heart, being disciples of Jesus. And our prayer is like it was said of those early believers by the Romans towards the end of Acts, they're turning the world upside down. God, we pray that that could be true of us. That you, as you've added to us, that you would multiply through us in such a way that we're turning the world upside down. God, through the Holy Spirit, would you form in us, God, would you, would you form a people here that give themselves first to the Lord and then to us? God, would you form a people here that are radically generous to the emergency? God, would you wake us up to the radical urgency of the gospel? And God, would you find a people here that are a channel of your blessings? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can come as you're ready.